Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 39 of They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. For early ad-free access to episodes, visit patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Christopher and Susan Wybrow had been married for nearly a decade. They lived on a large 12-acre country estate called Spring Farm in the quaint village of Leven Heath, which they purchased in 1981. They had been living there for eight years with Susan's daughter, Rosemary. In his late 40s, millionaire Christopher Wybrow worked as a barrister in London, specialising in planning and property deals, often commuting the 80 miles from the east of England to the nation's capital. He was always well-dressed and enjoyed playing for the local cricket team. His wife Susan worked delivering meals to help older or infirm members of the community. She was a member of the parochial church council. The villagers would always compliment her on her immaculate appearance. Susan was described as a wonderful person by the parish councillor. She would often go to watch her husband play cricket and make refreshments for the team. The pair were well respected and were considered the perfect couple. (music) 
On the morning of Wednesday, October 18, 1989, Christopher Wybrow decided to work from home rather than head to his chambers in London. His wife had been out to run some errands and came home to find Christopher in the garden. They spoke about their plans for lunch, but before the conversation could go any further, they fell into each other's arms and kissed passionately. They retired to the living room and Susan slowly began to remove Christopher's clothes. In the throes of passion, they didn't hear the other person in the house. In a matter of seconds, a man had quickly approached them from behind and threw Christopher to the floor before striking him on the head and grabbing his arms. Hearing his wife's screams, Christopher caught a glimpse of Susan fleeing the house. Perhaps knowing she had escaped was the only comfort he could find in the following moments. He was again struck as his hands were tied behind his back. A rope was knotted around his legs, above the knees. A pair of stockings had been shoved into his mouth and a blindfold covered his eyes. He was being threatened by an assailant who said he was there to take the couple's valuables. Throughout the assault, the man barked that he would kill Christopher if he uttered a word. He was pulled to his feet and dragged through the living room. He was then marched towards the door into the garden and pulled towards a bank with a large secluded duck pond below. As more punches were thrown, Christopher struggled, but it was no use. He was now on the ground and felt something around his neck. He heard an engine slowly getting louder. It was the sound of the sit-on lawnmower. In a moment of realisation, he knew he was either going to be strangled to death or mutilated. Despite his bindings, Christopher summoned the strength within himself he didn't even know was there. As he did so, his blindfold came off. He could now see what was happening. He recognised the man almost immediately and in a state of complete shock, also identified the person who had been riding the lawnmower. The police arrived at Spring Farm after being alerted by a neighbour. A family car had been taken and there was still no sign of Susan Wybrow. Detectives found the lawnmower by the pond along with a pair of earmuffs. They were sure that the assailants made attempts to stage an accident. One theory was the culprits had planned to make it look as though Christopher had drowned after falling from his lawnmower into a pond and the gardening equipment had fallen on top of him, pinning the unlucky gardener under the water. This theory wasn't one the detectives came up with on their own. It came from the person that raised the alarm with his neighbour, Christopher Wybrow. Behind the illusion of a perfect marriage, the Wybrow's relationship was rocky at best. Christopher worked long days and often stayed away from home. Susan's teenage daughter Rosemary did not approve of her mother's new husband, which led to further issues with the union. Susan had divorced her previous husband, who was the father of her child. 
He was a county court recorder who worked in the same chambers as Christopher Wybrow. Christopher had also separated from his former wife years before. Susan and Christopher had tried for a baby, however after much heartache it wasn't to be which put a strain on the relationship that seemed to be beset with problems. In Christopher's eyes, Susan would exaggerate matters, behaving irrationally. Susan believed that Christopher was dictatorial and opinionated. This often led to the couple arguing. These arguments slowly became verbally aggressive and then turned physical. When Christopher became angry, one of these disputes ended with Susan being struck. The couple were spending more and more time apart. Susan wanted to put the problems with her marriage to one side and focused on a passion of hers instead. During May 1989, Susan enrolled at the Ipswich School of Flying. She loved the thrill of being in the air and perhaps it was a way to forget about her troubles on the ground. Her instructor was a married man, Dennis Saunders from Colchester. Born in the late 30s, Saunders was raised in the district of Withamstow, East London, to Italian and English parents. He left school with few qualifications, finding work as a driver. He would go on to meet his future wife Maria, and the pair were married in the early 60s. They had four sons who were fully grown when Dennis started teaching Susan Wybrow how to fly. Susan and Dennis had a lot in common. For ten lessons, the pair spoke about the difficulties in their respective marriages and they were attracted to one another. Saunders would later tell a reporter that the two were mutually obsessed with each other and he would go on to say, I've never felt like that about anybody. After some exhilarating lessons where Saunders would fly the plane upside down, it would not be long until the two started having an affair. Saunders said, when she was in the aeroplane she was her true self, an uninhibited bundle of fun. The affair didn't go unnoticed and a fellow instructor at the Ipswich School of Flying spotted how close Saunders was with his pupil. The instructor Trevor Seymour often saw the pair in local bars, cuddling and kissing. He would later say, I don't know what she saw in him. He is short and podgy with buck teeth and bulgy eyes, but a real smoothie. By contrast, she is very striking and an attractive woman. Tall, blonde, slim and elegant. Trevor Seymour said Saunders and Wybrow acted like a couple of teenagers, as they seemed so in love. By September, Susan was arguing continually with her husband. She admitted to him that she had slept with another man. During her flying lessons, Susan would tell Dennis about the arguments with her husband, and on one occasion, as she eased herself into the cockpit, she complained of a pain in her back. Dennis asked her if her husband had hit her. She told him he had. Dennis was furious and decided they should do something about it.
During the morning of October 18, 1989, Susan called Dennis and they spoke on the phone at around 7.30am to put their plan into action. Susan had told the gardener not to come in that day. Around two and a half hours later, she left the family home to run some errands. While she was out, she spoke with her husband twice on the phone, presumably to check he was there. On her return journey, she collected Dennis, who was dressed in overalls and was carrying a tow rope. Before parking outside her home, she dropped him off at a barn near the property. She then ventured out again to the local village to post a letter, and on her way, she went into the barn and gave Dennis a pair of gumboots, scissors, and a cloth. She returned home to find Christopher in the garden. While discussing their plans for lunch, Susan seduced her husband. She told him, I want sex now in the sitting room. As the pair became intimate, Susan positioned Christopher so his back was to the door. Christopher Wybrow did not hear Dennis Saunders making his way into the room. Dennis grabbed Christopher from behind, tied him up and put a blindfold over his eyes. Christopher was dragged through the house, marched across the garden and thrown on the floor of a grass bank. While he could not see, he could hear the sound of an engine before a rope was looped over his neck. He then heard his attacker call for a knife. He managed to loosen his blindfold and saw Susan on top of a sit-on lawnmower. Desperately trying to wriggle free, Dennis was holding Christopher down as he screamed to his wife, Don't let him kill me. His wife screamed back, You've been horrible to me. As Christopher and Dennis continued to struggle, the pair fell down the bank towards the pond, and Christopher managed to release his bindings and break free when Dennis loosened his grip. Christopher jumped into the pond and waded across some boggy land before swimming to the other side. Pulling himself from the water, there was no sign of his wife or Dennis Saunders, so Christopher ran to the neighbor's house to raise the alarm. Answering the door to a man drenched, covered in pondweed with cuts to his face, neighbor Norman Newcomb at first thought Christopher Wybrow was drunk, before she realised that something far more serious had occurred. Their plan had failed, so Susan Wybrow and Dennis Saunders fled. They picked up some clothes and headed to Dover. As Susan did not have time to pick up her passport, she successfully used Dennis's wife's. The pair took a ferry to France, then drove on to Italy. Dennis's wife Maria owned a property out there, however they could not gain entry to the home as they had forgotten to take a key. Dennis tried to persuade a relative of Maria's to hand over their key, but as he was in the process of splitting up with his spouse, the relative refused. As the reality of their actions set in, after a week, Dennis called his wife. Missing home, he and Susan Wybrow decided to hand themselves in. They were arrested in the port town of Folkestone as soon as they arrived back on British soil. 
While being interviewed by police, Susan Wybrow claimed that she had told Dennis Saunders that her husband had struck her a number of times, even showing him the bruises. Upon seeing the marks, Dennis was incensed and said he wanted to treat Christopher Wybrow a lesson. This is where their accounts diverge, as Susan Wybrow claimed that she pleaded with Dennis not to do anything, but he became aggressive with her. Dennis claimed that he was in love with Susan and only wanted to teach her husband a lesson. At no point did he threaten her. While he planned to act as a robber and assault Christopher Wybrow, the accounts they each gave leading to the act were very different. Susan would later admit to police that she exaggerated her claim of spousal abuse to Dennis Saunders, but she said she felt forced to help him with the attack on her husband. Dennis claimed that he had Susan's blessing when he was carrying out the attack. Detectives found flaws with both accounts and were certain that Dennis and Susan plotted to kill Christopher Wybrow. Stories of the attack and the couple's relationship filled the tabloids. Dennis Saunders was labelled a Romeo and the press claimed he had a string of affairs due to his Italian heritage. He was also referred to as Dennis the Menace, and it was reported at Ipswich Airfield he sought out only female students. Before the trial, Susan and Christopher Wybrow divorced. On March 18, 1991, 18 months after the attack, a trial began at Norwich Crown Court. 50-year-old Susan Wybrow and her lover, 54-year-old Dennis Saunders, had each been charged with conspiring to kill barrister Christopher Wybrow, so Susan would inherit the Wybrow's estate. This included a sizeable home, a large amount of land, savings, and a life insurance policy which totaled three quarters of a million pounds. They pleaded guilty to kidnapping and conspiring to cause actual bodily harm, however pleaded not guilty to conspiracy to commit murder. Throughout the six-day trial, the jury heard from prosecutor Charles Kellett who alleged that Susan and Dennis planned to end Christopher's life by making it look as though he had a gardening accident at their home in the village of Levenheath north of the Suffolk and Essex border. It was believed they either planned to make it look as though Susan's husband accidentally drove his sit-on lawnmower into a duck pond and the motorised piece of gardening equipment would have pinned him under the water, or he would have fallen from it and been fatally wounded by the blades. The acorn from which this plan grew, in fact came from Christopher Wybrow after he was reading the Daily Telegraph a month earlier. He recounted to his wife the story of a man who had drowned after his ride-on lawnmower crashed into a water-filled ditch. Susan told her lover about the story in the paper, and the two allegedly made plans to end Christopher's life. The prosecutor said, That planted seeds of the conspiracy in the minds of Mr. Saunders and Mrs. Wybrow. He went on to say, They planned to do away with Mr. Wybrow in such a way that she would inherit his estate. 
when the plan failed. That was when the two conspirators panicked and fled the country. The defendants denied the prosecution's allegations and claimed they only intended to teach Christopher Wybrow a lesson and did not wish to kill him. Dennis Saunders said he only wanted to give Christopher Wybrow a quote, duffing up. The defendants and the victim would recall that fateful day in October 1989, though would each provide a differing account as to what happened. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Christopher Wybrow would speak about his former wife. Wearing a grey suit, the 50-year-old said, She was a bit of a flirt. It was a problem, but I loved her immensely. She exacerbated me. I got on her nerves, but she didn't get on mine. He thought it unusual when his ex-wife proposed they have sex in their front room on the afternoon of October 18th. Susan left briefly to go to the bathroom only to find her husband naked in the study when she returned. 
Christopher was surprised when his wife asked him to put his clothes back on as she wanted to undress him. Charles Kellett, acting on behalf of the prosecution, told the jury it would have been impossible to stage an accident if he was found in the pond with no clothes on because it was to be assumed Mr. Wybrow did not mow the lawn with no clothes on. Christopher Wybrow spoke about the moment just before he was attacked and said, She embraced me, kissing me passionately, gently pushing me towards the door. I then became conscious someone grabbed me from behind. I found myself flat on the floor face down with a man sitting astride me. After being tied, he was then marched to the garden near a large duck pond. Christopher Wybrow claimed that he was told, If you don't stop struggling, I will strangle you. Christopher recognised the man to be his wife's flying instructor, even calling out something to that effect, however received no response. When a rope was placed around his neck, he testified that that was the turning point in the fight. Dennis Saunders would later argue that while struggling with Wybrow, he said, No one is going to kill you. However, the barrister claimed he never heard the defendant say that. Saunders would also testify that he called to Susan Wybrow, He has had enough. Let's go. But again, Christopher Wybrow disputed this. Saunders claimed that the rope that ended up around Mr. Wybrow's neck had got entangled when the pair were tussling. He was adamant that he did not place it there on purpose. It was agreed by both the defendants and the victim that Dennis Saunders briefly released his grip of Christopher and left him on the ground as he spoke to Susan. At that moment, Christopher managed to make his escape. While Susan Wybrow and Dennis Saunders had been romantically involved before the attack, Susan would testify that Saunders had made physical threats towards her and her daughter. She said around a month and a half into the affair, things turned ugly. From the stand, she said that things got out of hand when Saunders told her he would cut her up if she looked at another man. Susan told the jury that one day when she was at his home, Saunders picked up a knife and said that he would play noughts and crosses on her face. She asserted similar threats were made on numerous occasions and that she initially told police that her husband had assaulted her because she was instructed to do so by Saunders while they were on the run. It was only when Susan realised that she was safe in the custody of police that she felt she could speak the truth. Susan gave her account of October 18, 1989 and said that after her husband was beaten and bound, he was taken to the garden. After his blindfold came off during the struggle and he saw Susan, he looked at her and said, I love you. While covered in blood, he pleaded to her, please don't let him kill me. As the two men struggled at the top of the bank, Susan witnessed them roll down towards the pond. At this moment, Christopher testified that he was still being assaulted. However, this is where accounts differ, as Susan Wybrow claimed that Dennis then moved away from Christopher, allowing him to make his escape. She told the court, 
I am ashamed to say that at the beginning I felt quite powerful that two men were fighting over me. I was also shocked, but I didn't do anything. She said that she had not planned to seriously hurt her then-husband, let alone kill him. Susan testified that when she left the property with Dennis Saunders, he said that she shouldn't return as Christopher would kill her. She admitted that although she had been threatened numerous times by Saunders, she still felt attracted to him. When questioned by Rock Tansy, Saunders' defence counsel, she also admitted that she felt powerful, manipulating the two men against each other. Dennis Saunders denied that he threatened Susan Wybrow. From the stand, he testified that he only carried out the attack as he was deeply in love with Susan and was upset that her husband had hurt her. He said, I could not get it out of my head that someone was mistreating the woman I loved. I was angry for the rest of the day and night. Dennis Saunders acknowledged that he did say he would hurt Susan Wybrow by playing noughts and crosses on her face with a knife if the affair ended, though declared he was joking and it was only meant in a playful fashion. He went on to testify that on the morning of October 18th, he hatched a plan with Susan to assault her husband and make it look like a robbery. She suggested he use a balaclava to make the ruse more convincing. He said, Susan actually wanted to see her husband beaten. She had said on occasions, I would like to see someone give him a dose of his own medicine. Dennis Saunders professed his love for Susan never faded until the start of the trial when she made her allegations against him. He said, until then, I was 100% in love with Susan. In his closing statement, Prosecutor Charles Kellett told the jury, The reason behind this whole conspiracy was to allow Mrs. Wybrow to lose her dull dog of a husband and gain control of his finances as his heir. Thereby, she would be enabled to continue her life with a lover, Dennis Saunders. The motive behind all of this was Mrs. Wybrow's craving for excitement. The prosecutor would go on to recount the hideous accident that the defendants planned, and said to the jury, If you read a novel and this was the plot, you would throw it to one side and say, Rubbish, this is not life. But here you are, trying the case. Defence counsel for Susan Wybrow, Julian Bevan QC asked the jury if there really was a plot to kill Mr. Wybrow, because if there was, he described it as one of the most bizarre and harebrained schemes imaginable. On Monday, March 25th, 1991 at Norwich Crown Court, the jury took just over two hours to reach a verdict. Dennis Saunders and Susan Wybrow were unanimously found guilty. Susan sat stone-faced and Dennis gazed ahead. They did not turn to look at each other. They were being held for the rest of the week while medical and psychological testing was conducted on Susan Wybrow. During mitigation, counsel for Susan, Julian Bevan, told the judge of his client's mood swings 
and said she was confused, depressed and entangled in an emotional web at the time of the crime. In reference to Susan, Saunders counsel Rock Tansy said, It takes two to tango. She was a very persuasive woman indeed. The following month at Birmingham Crown Court, Judge Justice Ian Kennedy said he did not think there was much planning before the act was put into practice, but that Christopher Wybrow was only a few minutes from death. He said, It is all very well to say the victim suffered no physical injury. There are very few physical injuries that won't heal, but the mental wound you caused to that man won't ever mend. While the judge admitted that he struggled to draw a distinction between the defendant's actions, he had to take into account who physically carried out the attack. Dennis Saunders was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the charge of conspiracy to commit murder and 12 months for conspiracy to commit actual bodily harm and kidnapping. The charges would be served concurrently. Susan Wybrow would face eight years behind bars for conspiracy to commit murder and 12 months for conspiracy to commit ABH in kidnapping. Her sentence would also be served concurrently. Outside the court, one of Dennis Saunders' sons spoke to the press and blamed Susan Wybrow for the attack. He said, My father has asked himself over and over again why he ever got involved with her. He still can't believe he ever got trapped by such a mad woman. She lured him into a web and he was helpless under her spell. Now it has destroyed his life. Following the trial, both Julian Bevan QC, defence counsel for Susan Wybrow, and Rock Tansy QC, counsel for Dennis Saunders, each submitted an appeal on behalf of their clients. While they did not dispute the charges of conspiracy to commit actual bodily harm and kidnapping, their claims centred around the charge of conspiracy to commit murder. The appeals shared common ground in that it was argued comments made by the trial judge could have hampered the defendant's right to a fair trial. It was claimed that his interjections heavily influenced the jury. In Julian Bevan QC's appeal, he wrote... The basic submission in this application is that the trial judge wrongfully entered the arena and took upon the mantle of prosecuting counsel. This submission was at first reviewed but ultimately refused by a single appeal judge. During March 1993 it was reported that after consideration by three appeal judges, Both Susan Wybrow and her lover Dennis Saunders were granted leave to appeal. The judges had reviewed the court transcript, which had been submitted as evidence. In their findings they wrote, Some of those passages cause us significant concern to require us, in our judgment, to invite the Crown to be present and to invite the full court to consider the submissions that are made as to whether, at the end of it all, these two applicants had a fair trial. During January 1994, the appeal was overseen by Lord Chief Justice Lord Taylor, Mr Justice Finch and Mr Justice Pill. 
it was argued that the trial judge had acted in a hostile manner and also inferred that the testimony made by a witness was contradictory when it was not. During examination in chief, the period before a cross-examination in which the advocate representing a witness can question their client to elicit the facts to support their case, Julian Bevan QC was addressing the jury. Judge Justice Kennedy randomly interrupted and asked Susan Wybrow, who was in the witness box at the time, Why did you tell the lie in the first place about Christopher hitting you? She responded, Well, he did push me in the back. The judge said, That is a different thing to hitting. The judge went on to discuss Dennis Saunders, who Susan claimed had threatened her. The judge said, Here is a man who for no reason at all has offered to cut up your face and play noughts and crosses on it and who will do the same to your daughter. That is self-evidently not a man to whom you should exaggerate any violence that you have suffered at the hand of a man about whom he might be jealous. As Susan's defence counsel tried to explain to the jury that Susan didn't wish to travel with Saunders abroad as she was scared for her safety, the judge again interrupted and said, Why did you not get out and say to the man at immigration, Look after me, I do not want to go on the boat. Because you go past immigration, do you not? You have to hold up your passport. They glance at your passport. There is your chance to get out of the car and say to the two policemen, Help me. A defeated Susan Wybrow replied, Yes, no, I didn't think about that. During the prosecution's cross-examination of Susan Wybrow, when the subject of the injuries to her back came up, she said that when Dennis Saunders first saw them, he was going to beat up her husband, face to face, man to man. Seconds later, the judge intervened and said, You say he was going to do it man to man. It could not be described as man to man to go up behind somebody, tie him up, and then knock him about when he is helpless. That is not Sir Galahad at work. How can this possibly be man to man? He is a manly man who is so angered by a woman being attacked by a husband that he devises a cowardly plan. Did you say to him, it is the most cowardly thing to do to tie him up and then hit him? It is a very odd circumstance, is it not? Susan replied, yes. Dennis Saunders' defence counsel, Rock Tansy QC, made attempts to present his client's case. However, the judge would repeatedly disrupt his presentation, either ridiculing what was being said or continually questioning its direction. Tansy respectfully asked the judge to stop interrupting him. During the trial, the defence counsel for Saunders recounted the day's events on October 18th, 1989. Prior to cross-examination, Saunders began to then speak about his plan, or lack of one as he described. The judge stopped him and said, So you were never then planning to go and face him man to man and punch him on the nose? You were planning to take him from behind? Saunders made attempts to testify, but he was repeatedly interrupted. As the exchange between the judge and Rock Tansy went back and forth, defence counsel said, my lord, may he be allowed to do it in his way? The judge exclaimed, I simply want you to deal with it so the jury can follow and understand what he is saying. Rock Tansy replied, 
My Lord, with respect, we shall be coming to that when he explains the plan as it ultimately developed. The interruptions came thick and fast, with both the Defence Council and Prosecution almost unable to keep up. While it was made clear during the appeal that it was entirely appropriate for a judge to intervene to ensure clarity and avert a repetitive, protracted trial, the appeal judges concluded that the trial judge's behaviour went far beyond the bounds of legitimate judicial conduct. They stated that the appellants were thereby deprived of their right to a fair trial, and there was a denial of justice. Concerning Judge Justice Ian Kennedy, Lord Chief Justice Lord Taylor stated, He interrupted the flow of their narrative not merely to clarify what they were saying, but to pour scorn on it. Whether or not their story was improbable, they and their counsel were prevented from presenting it as they wished. It was agreed that Susan Wybrow and Dennis Saunders should face a new trial, for which they would be granted legal aid. The defendants were released on bail and were not permitted to contact any of the prosecution's witnesses, especially Christopher Wybrow. Dennis Saunders returned to his home in Colchester, Essex, and Susan Wybrow stayed at her mother's home in Plymouth. It was agreed that the new trial would be held in London due to the amount of publicity the case had generated in Norwich. A second trial was held at the Old Bailey in London during March 1994. From the stand, Christopher Wybrow again testified. The barrister told the court that on October 18th, 1989, his ex-wife seemed happier than she had been for months. When the subject of dinner came up, she suggested she would love to cook his favourite meal, lobster, so she went out to buy provisions for tea. He then recalled the day's events for a second time. Paradoxically, while Christopher Wybrow recited his horrific attack, he went on to speak about his former wife in glowing terms. He said that she had an almost childlike approach to life, even describing her as an extremely kind person. He said she was not materialistic and never complained, even when their financial situation changed temporarily during a particularly difficult year for his business. John Matthew QC acting on behalf of the prosecution told the jury that the defendants put their plan into action because they were in love and in spite of Christopher Wybrow's testimony about his former wife, she wanted him dead. He said, Without her husband's financial support, she was not going to live in the way to which she had become accustomed. During his summary of the case, Judge Justice Sachs addressed the jury and said they had to decide whether Susan Wybrow was a scatterbrain or a manipulative woman obsessed with her lover. The jury also had to decide if Dennis Saunders intended to murder Christopher Wybrow, or was he just looking to scare him for the alleged assaults on the barrister's then wife. The judge stated that although passion played a large part in the events of the case, the jury must not be influenced by those factors when arriving at a verdict. 
after almost three years to the day from the original trial, and following four hours of deliberations, the jury of eight men and four women reached a decision. Mrs. Susan Wybrow burst into tears when the jury acquitted her and her former lover Dennis Saunders of conspiracy to murder. They had always maintained there was never a plot to kill her barrister husband Christopher in what became known as the fake lawnmower accident at their 12-acre farm in Leavenheath, Suffolk. On March 21, 1994, Susan Wybrow and Dennis Saunders were found not guilty of conspiracy to commit murder. Mrs. Wybrow, who's now living in Ivybridge near Plymouth, and flying instructor Dennis Saunders from Ensley Court, Colchester, walked free from the court because they had already served a sentence for the offence of plotting to cause actual bodily harm, which they had admitted. Mrs. Wybrow expressed relief. I'm relieved that the right verdict's been reached at last, but I'm um, a terrible strain. Outside the courtroom, Dennis Saunders was seen smiling, and when approached by a journalist, he said, I am delighted, just look at me. When asked if he still loves Susan, Dennis responded, No, no. He simply wished to put the incident behind him. Mr Saunders' solicitor, Brian Spiro, expressed his client's feelings. He just simply wishes to say that he's extremely relieved that the jury today have found him not guilty and he's looking forward to returning home to his wife and family who've been extremely supportive throughout. Detective Sergeant Phil Mason, who led the inquiry for Suffolk Police, praised Christopher Wybrow's behaviour throughout the case and said he acted with no vindictiveness towards his wife. Wybrow, who did not attend the outcome of the retrial, did not wish to provide comment. Journalists waited outside his home at Spring Farm, hoping to catch a glimpse of the barrister, though he never emerged. They did, however, speak to his gardener. He told the press that his employer did not want to speak to anyone, and when quizzed about what happened, he merely said he would no longer be using a sit-on lawnmower. The notorious piece of gardening equipment had since been sold. So where are we now? After the second trial, Dennis Saunders returned to his wife, Maria. He only met his lover, Susan Wybrow, once during the appeal proceedings and the retrial was the last time they saw each other. He wanted nothing more to do with her. All of those involved in the case have since remained out of the spotlight. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. You can now pre-order your copy of our new book, They Walk Among Us, available on Thursday, May 30th, 2019, in paperback, ebook, and audiobook.
For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.